Season 3 of The Next Unicorns is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Post your first job free at linkedin.com slash unicorn. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever, and right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. And... Bubble empowers people to design and launch their own apps, marketplaces, or tools without needing coding skills or pricey engineers. The first 500 listeners will get one month free on any of Bubble's paid plans from $29 a month up to $529 a month at bubble.io slash twist. All right, our guest today is Alan Chen. He is with a company called Fitbod. You can check them out at fitbod.me. And basically, it's an app that lets you help that helps you keep track of your workouts. And it is a company that I was lucky enough to have in our accelerators fifth cohort. We've done 23 of these cohorts now of seven companies. And uh, that was in early 2017. If you're a fan of the show, Alan's been on the show many times to talk about uh, how he's grown his startup, but never really as a featured guest. And I realized, uh, you know, a 1000 <laughs> or so episodes into the pod, or maybe 1200 episodes, that we had many people in our portfolio who are breaking out, and I never really had them as a guest on the program. So I thought we'd fix that and went down through the portfolio and realized, my goodness, Alan's company Fitbot is growing exceptionally fast. Uh, when we met, you had the app built. And I'm trying to remember if you had started charging yet. Had you yep. turned on the paid version when we met in 2017? The app was built, we had just turned on monetization. And mm -hmm. we were, if I remember correctly, right around $6,000 per month. So Got just it. starting to just starting to see people paying for for the product and really enjoying it. And uh, that's when we joined the incubator. Do you remember our first meeting and the questions I asked you or how excited I was about the product? I, I'm trying to remember when we first met, it was probably at our offices during the finals or I'm trying to remember but what was that first meeting like when we were talking? Uh, and then I'll tell you why I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. definitely. If, if, if I think back, um, it's actually a pretty cool story. Um, you had put out a tweet um, saying, anybody who interviewed with YC but didn't get in, uh, come talk to me. Huh? And so we sent you an email and we were like, hey, here's our product. Here's our traction. And I want to say within 10, 15 minutes, we got a response saying, this is interesting. Come talk. Uh, let's talk. So, um, I was actually out of the country at the time I joined on video, but Jesse went in and talked to the yeah. team, talked to you. And, you know, I think, you know, the indication that you're trying to get is, um, how much did users love the product? Mm. And, you know, as you were able to kind of dive, dive into, you know, our product and our users and how we were able to deliver this to users, it became pretty clear that, you know, this is something that, um, you know, you had wanted to be in on with us. And of course, you know, we joined the incubator and um, the rest is uh, the, re history. the rest is history. There you go. Th the reason I ask is I'm trying to unpack from other people's perspectives the moments I met some of the breakout companies, whether it's Uber or 
you know, yourselves or lead IQ or grin, because I don't actually I have my memory is very weird. Like I meet so many companies, it all becomes one giant meeting in my memory. And you know, this is what happens when you meet with over a 1000 founders a year or so. <laughs> and uh, I, I do remember you had just turned on subscriptions. And in my mind in 2016, 2017, I was seeing com.com start to hit millions and millions of dollars in revenue, uh, you know, and then maybe even break five or 10 million in revenue. And I was like, wow, this, there's something about consumers paying for apps with the subscriptions, which people don't remember, but uh, subscriptions weren't available in the app store. I don't know, maybe it was seven years ago, or six years ago, they started experimenting with allowing you to subscribe to apps. Before that, people don't remember you bought an app one time for 10 bucks and you had the app for life almost like it was a piece of package software but subscriptions became the bigger thing so um let's talk a little bit about the traction uh i think you've been pretty upfront about the first half of this year you did eight million dollars yeah just a little over eight million dollars in the first half of the year okay so eight million dollars in six months you're doing over a million dollars a month when we met you were doing six thousand uh, so since that time, you have 200 x or whatever it is revenue. <laughs> yep. Let's talk about, you know, that journey over the last, let's say 2017, 18, 19, 20, and into 20. So it's been about five years of growth here. But getting to a $16 million run rate in five years for a consumer subscription uh, service, pretty darn hard. What what are the key moments in the growth of the company that um, led you to figure out that there was a market here for a subscription service uh, without hardware just to track people's workouts. And, that, and that's what FitBot does, right? You pick your workout, you pick what equipment you have, and it, and it will tell you through machine learning how your body is reacting to that workout and what you should do in the next workout, correct? Yeah, that's correct. It'll construct a next workout for you. So the next time you're ready to work out, whether it's at home, whether it's at the gym, you open the app and you, you know exactly what you need to do. And as you log more workouts, of course, you know, the app will understand your tendencies and capabilities and get better and, and more catered and really advance you along in your fitness. So um, that, that's what we had there. And, you know, I think to your question, um, what were the indications where we started to say, hey, you know, this is actually something that that's really good. And, and I would say that, you know, very early on, we knew that we had built a product that people loved, um, kind of like we talked about with the incubator. And then soon after that, um, you know, we were talking with um, Nir Eyal, the, the author of Hooked. Mm. And, you know, the, the book Hooked talks about, you know, the, the, the feedback loop where you start to build habits. And that's the trigger, the action, the reward. And then the investment phase that goes into, you know, the next, you know, next cycle, which triggers you to go work out again. And Nir Eyal really um, enjoyed this model that we had. And he actually wrote us into a chapter of, you know, the book Hugged. So the newest wow. release of Hugged ha has this as a chapter. And you start to see us um, having that kind of traction and engagement where people are coming back to us and the kind of retention that um, I think, um, you know, is far, <laughs> is a really good um, number for retention in this space relative to others in this space. And, and I think with that, we were able to build on our subscription business where, you know, month after month or year after year, we're building on, on our user base, um, you know, to come in and really enjoy the product to remain retained in the product and to tell their friends about it. So you um, took your time definitely. in those early days, making sure the product was not a leaky bucket, as we say in the industry, 
that people didn't churn the fancy uh, word we use in our industry for quit. What was the process of figuring out who your customers were and how to not uh, make them churn? What can you teach the audience about that process and that discovery process? How do you do it as a founder, as a product designer? Yeah, um, listening to our customers. Um, you know, from very early on, we were the ones, you know, speaking with our customers, getting them on, you know, phone calls, video calls, interviews. And, you know, this happened. How do you do that? Mechanically, how do you ask a customer to get on the phone with you without it being creepy and weird? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's creepy or weird at all. You know, we have customers writing in all the time saying that, you know, they, they love the product. And if we are able to say, hey, you know, here's an opportunity for you to talk with the founders of the company to help us make this product be product better for you, a lot of people are, are more than happy to jump on the phone with us and really explain to us their experience of how mm. they're interacting with the product. And early on, we had that luxury, right? We were small, you know, you know, I remember answering emails myself to, to users to say, hey, you know, here's actually how, how we respond to customers. And as we've grown, we've definitely tried not to let that go where we still have you know, user researchers that we're working with to interview customers. And Jesse, even today, is still getting on the phone, getting on a video call with, with our existing customers to make sure that we can continue to make better products for them. So very simple process. Somebody writes in, they like the product, uh, and you have a public email address for feedback. And you say, hey, can we jump on a Zoom call and talk for a couple of minutes about how you use the product, what you like about it, what ideas you have? So it's really just finding the people who are already passionate and engaging with them and doing I guess what we call in the industry, a user interview. Exactly. Early on, it was as simple as that. Um, today, now we actually have people fill out surveys. And one of the questions in the survey is, would you like to talk with the team? And then we actually uh -huh. break it on the cohorts, right? Um, there's people who are, you know, you know, power users of Fitbot that we, of course, want to talk to. There's people who have churned that we want, we want to talk to as well. So uh, definitely different cohorts that we go on and talk to to make sure that, you know, we're able to improve the product for them. Okay, some people only believe in organic growth, they don't believe in paid other people are just experts at paid and they don't really think about organic growth. How do you think about your business and scaling it in this combination of organic growth, word of mouth, versus uh, spending money to get people into the product and the relative strengths and weaknesses and how you deploy your resources to capture both those opportunities? Because I would think these are two very different disciplines. Um, you know, I would say that they may be different, but they are connected. Um, and, and what Certainly I mean by connected, that, yeah, yeah. what I mean by that is, you know, when we started early on, we actually didn't do any marketing at all. Um, mm. and we were all, all organic, all word of mouth, all people, you know, talking about us and, and you can kind of see signals, you know, in, in different places, social media, emails where people are talking about us. And that was early on. And then we layered in paid user acquisition on top of that. And because the organic um, growth was strong, that's what allowed us, in my opinion, to really be successful at paid user acquisition mm -hmm. and continuing to improve the product and then continuing to layer in, you know, you know, increases to our marketing spend. I think they go hand in hand in saying, hey, the effectiveness of paid user acquisition is going to be dependent on the core product and how much people are enjoying it and telling their friends about it. So I think they're, they're definitely very in intertwined. Let me just say up front, go to linkedin.com slash unicorn and post your job for free. That's it. I'm giving you the call to action up front. linkedin.com slash unicorn, get your first job for free. And here's why you should do that. 
It's because many small business owners are super busy today. We all know that. You're searching for and interviewing the wrong candidates for a job opening would be better spent growing your business. We all know this. And you get so many people applying who are not qualified. It's hard. Well, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to get the right candidates who are worth your time interviewing and it's fast and it's free. You can create a free job posting in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs and you'll reach the world's largest professional network of over 750 million people. You know this because you're on LinkedIn every week, probably using it multiple times a day if you're like me. And you can focus on candidates with the skills and experience you need and use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. And those screening questions are great for filtering out people who are serious or not. Then you use simple tools on LinkedIn jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you would like to interview and eventually hire. We love LinkedIn jobs here at launch. And in 2021, we've hired a third producer, a curriculum designer and a couple of researchers. I mean, we're crushing it. Once again, LinkedIn jobs will help you find the right candidate worth interviewing faster every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit linkedin so post your job for free at linkedin.com slash unicorn linkedin.com slash unicorn to post your first job for free terms and conditions apply because they're giving you a free job listing okay when it comes to doing the paid marketing what is the secret to great paid marketing obviously there's the creative you make obviously there's picking the audiences and targeting them and then you have every possible channel under the earth from TikTok to Instagram to Google search to YouTube, uh, Facebook, etc. When you look at those different vectors that I mentioned creative channel, uh, and audiences, which is the most important? And how do you let's break down in each one what the best practices are. And if there are other vectors that I'm missing here about uh, growing a company, because once you found that you had a great product, you did lean into really growing the base of users, correct? Uh, yeah, we did. Um, and, and yeah, you know, I, I, I would still start with the bottom of the funnel, which is, you know, retaining users with a great product. And then you take a step up and that's, you know, getting people involved and getting people doing workouts. So the whole onboarding process has to be strong, making sure those new users have a good experience. You take a level up from there, which is, you know, when they click to download the product, we want to make sure that we find those users that know what they're getting into. So, mm. you know, we want to make sure the messaging, um, the creatives, you know, the wording, who we're targeting are the right cohorts to say, hey, this is a product that are going to resonate with these people. And, you know, you get, a, you know, to the top of the funnel, which is, okay, you know, how do we actually make those creatives? How do we actually, you know, find the right targeted audience? How do we actually, you know, find the the, the groups that are going to, you know, ultimately transition successfully to the next step of the funnel so i think all of them are important but i think you know very much thinking about it from the bottom up as opposed to you know how can we fill the funnel with as many people as possible i think that's kind of what you know the approach that we took what was the bottom up and seems I think that, very that smart because you're being disciplined and saying hey we don't want to we want to churn as few people as possible because if they renew if they use the product and we get them in year two we could actually either be more profitable or pay a higher price, you're just going to be more efficient in terms of putting people into the top of the bucket because you retain more of them. And then above that, making sure their onboarding is elegant and gets them engaged and they understand how to use the app. So let's talk about that onboarding. How many times have you totally revamped your onboarding in the history of this six-year-old company? Are you six years or seven years now? Uh, se seven. Um, yeah, and you probably didn't even have an onboarding in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So maybe you've in six years of onboardings. Let's just unpack that one piece for a moment. 
Yep. Tell me about the onboarding process. How many wholesale renovations did you? How much iteration? How many people work on just that part? Yeah, I would say we, we've revamped it completely. So whole new set of onboarding screens. We've done that three to four times um, in, in the history. And, you know, when we first started, this was six, seven years ago. Um, you know, kind of like you mentioned, the goal for onboarding at that time was to minimize the number of clicks someone needed to, you know, make or taps to in order to get into the product. And I think that was the general guideline for onboarding at the time. And what we found was that when we were able to provide an onboarding experience such that users can give us some of their information, whether that's mm. their profile, their goals, their gym equipment. And at the same time, we can educate the user a bit on what they're getting with this product. I think that starts to build the relationship between our product, us and, and the customer. And they get bought in, they start to understand what this is all about, and they actually convert better later down the line. So we're adding some friction to the process. But at the same time, that, you know, information transfer, I think is really important between the product and, and the user. Kind of like when you go to a new gym, and they onboard you and they're like, Hey, what do you like to do? And I'm always just like, just let me go in the gym. And they're just like, well, if we just let you go in the gym, you're not going to know about the rock climbing wall, you may not know about the massages, you may not know about the yoga class or that we do breakfast in this place or whatever. And then you might churn. So they always want to walk you through and give you the tour of the place. A and that tour is good friction. It's good exactly. friction because it gets you more bought into the product. And you knowing what equipment they have and what their goals are, allows you to give them a better experience than reduces churn. Do I have that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And it also starts to build trust. Um, ah. You know, people know that, hey, you know, we're building this workout based on the information they had given us. So that it's actually catered to the individual. So um, that's that's when we start to build trust with the user as well. So now you've got the trust with the user, they understand what the product does. You need to understand which customers to go after. How did you zone in on or zero in on rather? How did you zero in on and triangulate on this is a fit bod ideal customer profile? I guess we call it ICP in the industry. I don't know what you call it internally, but what do you call it internally? And then how do you narrow in on this is who we should go after? Yeah, so when we first started, um, it's, the, it's the theory of the crossing the chasm, right? You have mm -hmm. the early adopters, the small group of people that are going to be the ones that are going to spread the word for you. And then as you cross the chasm, you get into the, the larger majority where you start to broaden out your targeting. I can tell you, you know, very early on, our targeting was very narrow, and it was quite simply lookalikes. Uh, we were taking our best users, we were sending them to Facebook, and we were saying, hey, go find us another, you know, 100,000 or million users that are like these type of users, and send them over to us. Um, naturally, we know that, uh, you know, privacy laws with, you know, these ad platforms are changing, um, with, you know, um, with, with, you know, iOS 14 and, and, you know, the whole, you know, privacy, um, privacy rules that they're implementing. And, you know, I think that nicely falls in line with us where we're, you know, starting to more broadly target different audiences, whether that's, you know, interest-based targeting or other kinds of targeting where we can say, hey, you know, this is a product that's now proven. You know, we have, um, you know, uh, social evidence of people really enjoying this product. Now we can actually reach the larger majority. So, um, Got different it. kinds of targeting. But definitely at the early stages, it was definitely, you know, starting small and then kind of growing from that point on. So you have the ideal customer profile when you're starting are the avant-garde, the tip of the spear, the beachhead market, 
is people who are working out three days a week who know what a burpee is who you know know how to use different weights have worked out with a kettlebell so this product to them is nirvana they, they <laughs> probably are writing their workouts down in a log book right they might what did people do before fitball would they log their workouts on paper or would they carry a little book with them what did you do as somebody who was working out how did you log your workouts yeah, no, you know, I had this issue completely. Um, I had a PDF that I printed out and I oh. wrote on it. So I carried a PDF and, and a piece of paper uh, in my backpack on the way to the gym. And when that routine was done, I would, I remember going to the gym and I would just guess. I would take whatever was available. I wouldn't know what to do when I would guess. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this is really what led into the concept of how we started Fitbot, which is to say, hey, you know, based on what you did in the past, we can actually use this information to provide your next workout for you. Or at least tell you what to target for your next workout. Got it. So you did your bench press, you did your biceps, hey, let's do squats, let's work on your back or your abs or something, uh, some other muscle group, so they can get a full workout. Um, and you used to be able to say, hey, here are our existing users, uh, give me more people like this, and the Facebook algorithm would do all the work. Now the ad networks are going to have less ability to do that. And that is a more acute issue for iOS users, which I'm sure is the bulk of your user paid user base, because that's where all the paid users are. So the fact that iOS and Apple has said you can't track people by their phones and what they're doing on their phones, Facebook for your ad network, that becomes headwinds against your business, correct? You know, I, I would say it's headwinds for for all businesses. But from what I have seen so far, this has been out for you know a month or two now, what I've seen so far is a couple of things. Um, those businesses that don't have a strong funnel that, you know, going back to what we talked about, start from the top down where they're trying to target everybody, get people to download and click and, you know, you know, uh, you know, start a trial or whatever. Um, you know, those businesses that don't have strong retention and strong conversion, I think they're now, you know, having a harder time trying to, you know, find the right audiences to target. So that's one of the impacts. And, and the other impact that, that I've actually noticed is that, um, there's a minimum threshold that you have to spend in order to get um, what's called SK ad network attribution, which is what Apple provides us. And so this minimum spend is actually, in my opinion, you know, hurting the little guy, right? They can't get any sort of visibility into their attribution until they have a certain amount of spend. Hmm. And, you know, so there, there's two, these two different places where I think are getting hit somewhat hard. And then you look at our business, right? You know, I believe we have strong, you know, organic, um, you know, traffic. Uh, I believe we have other channels that are driving our users. I believe we're able to, you know, target in a somewhat broad sense for, um, you know, for different interest-based targeting and still be successful. Hmm. And, you know, I believe that, you know, our funnel is strong. So, you know, we're still in a good place. There's definitely a shakeup in, you know, the ad, ad space um, mm -hmm. for digital advertising. And I think that we're in a that definitely a, a really good place to say, hey, you know, this shakeup has happened. We understand what's going on, and our you know marketing efforts are still strong, and we're still actually moving forward and, and growing our marketing efforts. So, but for folks who didn't know their ideal customer profile well, maybe they churn a lot of customers, and they were kind of just buying ads willy nilly on the ad networks and letting the ad networks figure out who their audience was. That those folks will be infected a little bit more. Yeah, I, I mean, this is my opinion, but I think yeah. so. Um, yeah. You know, imagine you know seeing a, a a commercial on TV that's just completely not relevant and and, and not not quite there. 
I think that's going to be similar to to what happens with with a lot of advertisers. Yeah, it's interesting, and very few people are opting into sharing their data with Facebook because Facebook has some trust issues. And then I saw Snapchat was getting like seventy or eighty percent of people were opting in because people who use Snapchat are so loyal to that brand that they're actually opting in more. How much time and money do you spend integrating a bunch of different software products together at your company? Let me guess, way too much time. Well, Odoo is here to help. Odoo is a suite of business apps that runs your entire company on one platform. They'll streamline your workflow by bringing all of that information together. Plus, Odoo's integrations eliminate repetitive tasks and data entry. If you only need two or three apps to optimize your workflow, that's all you pay for. Odoo won't stick you with the bill for apps you don't use. Odoo has an app for every business need. They offer 30 main apps that are updated regularly and over 16,000 apps from their active open source community. You can keep your books tight with their financial software and their sales and CRM apps will help provide a clear and organized view of your business. So here is your call to action. Your first app is free forever. And right now Odoo is offering a one thousand dollar credit on your first implementation pack that's not a joke that's a thousand dollars just go to odoo.com slash twist to check it out that's odoo.com slash twist so let's move the conversation from the audiences to the different channels you have tiktok youtube uh and snapchat all really getting popular especially in fitness for youtube and for tiktok i think a lot of fitness bloggers and influencers have you gone down the influencer trail the affiliate trail because that seems to be to me one of the patterns that happens is people have organic growth they do some paid and then some number of them if they have a really good product can find the influencers and have a content marketing strategy that also becomes a major driver in some cases i was talking to brandon from grin uh which you know uh one of your not in your cohort but in a, one right after you you know, they have people managing hundreds of influencer relationships with their platform. Uh, and they're starting to see people spend 20 or 30% of their budget on influencers this year, which is truly mind blowing, since that was like a 5% of your budget now moving to double digit. Um, how do you think about some of the other emerging platforms, influencers, and then affiliate for people who don't know what affiliate is, it means an influencer or another platform, another content provider, would get 50 bucks for every time they sell a hundred dollar subscription or something like that. Yeah, no, de definitely. There's, there's a lot of opportunity there. And, you know, starting with the different channels, like you said, I think, um, you know, different people are on different channels, whether it's mm. Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok, and having the right creators and the right messaging for that channel, I think is, is definitely important. And then when we get to, you know, the, the influencers, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I think the main thing is that the influencer, um, would need to, um, have buy into the product. Our best performing influencers are Fitbot users. Um, so they, they know the product. They, they really enjoy the product when they're telling others about the product. That is, um, that's where the messaging is actually, you know, you know, genuine and true. Um, and that being said, you know, one of the ne next things that we're going to, we're going to be, you know, putting together is our referral program where, you know, mm -hmm. anyone can refer to, to anybody else. Uh, it could be an influencer with, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of followers, or it could be anybody who just really enjoys the product and is going to refer, you know, 10 or 100 really high quality referrals to Fitbot. Uh, mm. That definitely an opportunity there for us to, you know, continue to grow on that scale. 
Yeah, and if you get those influencers or the affiliates, you could put them on staff. You could give them like a retainer. I was, I was speaking to Brandon about this. He said some influencers now are doing deals like Michael Jordan or LeBron James might do for a sneaker. So this person is sponsored by Fitbit or they're sponsored by this clothing company and they get, you know, a $2,000 a month retainer to talk about it. Uh, plus, you know, their affiliate link gets them 25 bucks per whatever. And they just have to hit a certain threshold or something. And so the, the person who's providing the relationship for the sponsorship says, okay, can I, can I make more than $12,000 off of the relationship with this influencer who's on TikTok? And it seems to me to be pretty authentic, especially if you were doing it through your existing base. Do you have people who are influencers already using the product and sharing it for free anyway now? Because I see sometimes that comes up on my feed. Oh, yeah. We, we have people sharing it. We have people reaching out. Uh, we have NCAA, ath NCAA athletes who are, who are trying to reach out and say, hey, uh. you know, let's start to use that platform. So, uh, you know, de definitely a lot of people are reaching out. And, you know, when they do, you know, like I said, those are the ones that end up being the, the best partners with us. Um, we do have people that, you know, we reach out to um, mm -hmm. and other influencers that we work with um, that we've also worked with in the past. But uh, but I would say by, you know, by and large, the best partners are people who are FitBot users. All right. What's the plan to triple revenue this year and next? <laughs> How do you make that next jump? And is it getting easier to make the jumps now that you have more resources? How has your life changed? Because, you know, it's one thing to grow from 6,000 to 20,000 a month or 20,000 to 50,000. But now you're starting to get to this million plus a month in revenue. It is harder to move the needle. You have to take bigger swings, more money's at stake. Maybe you talk to me a little bit about how do you keep this level of growth up and, you know, build out the team in order to do that? Yeah, um, I think we have a ton of room to grow um, with our existing product and our plat and existing platform base. Mm. Um, you know, we have 225,000 paying customers. And, wow. you know, Jason... <laughs> 225,000 paying customers. It's yeah. amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, de definitely. Thank you. But we're, we're not there yet. And I think this product can definitely grow to over a million. Um, just by continuing to improve the product and giving our users a better experience. And I think with that, we just follow right in line of, of Calm, which you know, you know really well, um, which has, you know, um, probably millions of, of users millions at of this paid point. Subscribers, yeah. millions. So I think, you know, we keep doing what we do better. And, you know, over the next, you know, six months, our roadmap allows us to continue to build a better and better product for our users, whether that's, you know, um, you know, Google IO who presented us at, at, at Google IO for their Wear OS app, uh, mm -hmm. their, their new watch app, or it's Apple WDC, WWDC who presented us with their, you know, Apple watch and the always on feature that they're going to introduce. Oh, the yeah, always yeah. on is the new thing with the Apple watch where the screen's always on. Exactly. And, and yeah. you, you'll see your workout on, on your watch, even when you lower it. So you can get that information on your watch all the time. And at WWDC, Apple introduced this feature uh, using Fitbot as the example. So amazing that's we were, when we you were know the... you've hit it is because that happened to calm early on and we started to see, or zynga i remember my friend mark pincus or uber was included in some of those moments and when you start getting asked by the platforms to do the special functionality that's when you know you're in uh really great shape now just talking about the financing of a company like this you've been incredibly capital efficient you've heard my term before pegasus i think a lot of people on the uh, program have heard it Pegasus to me is defined as a company that's so profitable, they can fly over <laughs> rounds of funding without diluting the cap table. What this basically means is you are able to grow the business off of 
revenues. I believe I'm the, am I still the only major outside investor in the company? Yeah, that's date? correct. You're, 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 the, you're the main uh, investor in Fitbot. And you've had many opportunities to raise money. I offered you money many times. <laughs> and I remember, I was like, hey, maybe we do a $10 million round. And you just only wanted to raise a, a couple of million. And so you've basically run this company with only diluting ballpark 10 or 15%. Is, is that ballpark correct? 15% maybe? Yep, that, that, that's correct. So what is your thinking now, as the company has gotten this big, and the funding environment has gotten so rich, and you continue to run a profitable enterprise, I believe your cash position most months goes up rather than down. That's Am I correct. still correct on that? Yes. I read the updates and it's really very similar. It's like deja vu all over again. When I would read the com updates, Alex would send me the update and I'd be like, okay, you're gonna raise more money. And they're like, no, no, the cash you're seeing there is the cash we're throwing off. This business is profitable. And I'd be like, oh, okay. So the $4 million you're saying there is money you made or we got that money from investors. And I was like, no, no, that's, that bank account keeps growing because <laughs> we're profitable. It's like really weird to, to have happen in Silicon Valley. I mean, I'm thrilled by it, but you must be looking at, hey, this next jump going from 16 to 50 million, you know, it's a bigger jump. And maybe needing more money for that, or maybe not, or taking advantage of this very unique moment in time when valuations and money is flowing. I, a lot of investors ask me to introduce you to them, and then they come back and say they're not raising money. Can you tell them to take our money? And I'm like, I, I can tell them that, but I don't think they're going to listen. So how do you think about it now? Let's have a candid discussion here on the show. Yeah. Um, you, you know, there's saying, a lot you do keep saying no to people. I mean, we, we always have the conversation. It's always good to, you know, you know, chat with people and, and definitely have that discussion. And, you know, I think, Jason, to your point, you know, if and when we have a compelling, you know, uh, reason to, to go down that path and we have the right partner and we know that this is the direction we're going to go, then we're more than happy to do that. Um, mm -hmm. What I will say is that you know, to your point, I think that there is a lot of activity um, in the venture space. There's also a lot of activity in the fitness space. And I think, you mm. know, th this is definitely an interesting space. And the, the premise that we're approaching this with is that we want to do what we can do to make this product better for our users. Mm. So if we start with the users, you know, we want to figure out, okay, how do we actually make, you know, make this, this product better? And if there is an opportunity where we're like, hey, you know, let's go down this path, then we're more than happy to do that. Hmm. Um, I will say at this time that, you know, to your point, Jason, our bank account right now is larger than it was when we closed the last round with you. Um, so we've grown. So you basically bank wouldn't spend my money. You're just sitting. <laughs> it's good to have a cushion. <laughs> I guess it, it's, it's a cushion and, and for sure it'll allow us to make the investments we want to make. Yes. Um, when, when we see these opportunities and we definitely will. Um, so not ruling anything out. We're definitely continuing to have these conversations, but I think it starts with the user and the focus on the user and the team and making sure that that's in a good place. So, uh, you always love when I make you unsolicited offers publicly, 10 times $60 million run rate is 160 million. So how about we raise another 5 million at 160 million? What do you think of that? We could just, <laughs> I can do it with the syndicate, put a little bit of money in from our fund, syndicated. I think everybody would like to be involved. You don't have to change the governance of the company. You want to put a quick five million into the company? Yes or no? Well, Think it through for the next 15 seconds. It's very entertaining for the audience. <laughs> Over the past few years, everyone has been talking about no code. 
and one of the first no-code web app tools was Bubble. Bubble empowers people to design and launch their own apps, marketplaces, or tools without needing coding skills or pricey engineers. Bubble offers a digital editor and cloud-hosted platform for as low as $29 a month. Users can build pretty much any complex web app from marketplaces to social networks to SaaS tools and more. Why is Bubble so great for founders? Because you can spend 10 times less on building out your MVP. Bubble utilizes drag and drop elements in their visual editor so users can quickly and easily build powerful apps. Go from idea to launchable product in a matter of days or weeks not months. And they handle all the annoying stuff like deployment and hosting so you can focus on your product and customers. Bubble has over 1 million users worldwide and enables over 1 billion in business volume. Their founder and CEO, Emmanuel, was on episode 1021 back in January of 2020. So you can check that out if you want to learn more. And Bubble is offering one month free on any of their paid plans ranging from their personal plan of $29 a month to their production plan of $529 a month. But act fast because they're only offering this deal for the first 500 redemptions. Head to bubble.io slash twist and snag one of those 500 coupons. What I will say is this, and I, I'm actually curious <laughs> to hear, hear your thoughts on this, Jason. Yeah. Um, and that's that, like I said, the most compelling thing for us right now is to make sure that we take care of our users and our team. Yeah. And if we think about that, we have a lot of team members who have been working really hard and have been with us for a number of years now. And so mm -hmm. if I were to think about the most compelling reason to raise, it would be to give these team members an opportunity to see some liquidity in their shares. Sure. So we and could do 10 million, 5 million in primary, 5 million in secondary. So that would be the way I would think about it. So then maybe try to raise 10 million at that 160, you earmark 5 million for primary to go in and then 5 million to buy secondary. Um, and there's plenty of people who like to buy that secondary. And what you do is the investors coming in would either get to buy one or the other, the secondary shares might be at a 10% discount to the preferred shares, typically, because they don't have the same right set. But you know, anyway, it's, it, it's pretty close. And then what you can or sometimes they just go for the same price as the preferred if you have some motivated buyer. Um, but then what you do is, uh, when the investors come in, you say, listen, we're doing this dual thing for every $10,000 for every million dollars you put in, you get half and half or whatever it is. And, you know, the founders can drive that. I think that's another way to get a deal closed, like a big series B, uh, which is, this would be a, this would be your series A technically, because you really never did a, did we price the last round? I'm curious. I can't remember. The last round. It? Yes, it we was priced. priced. It, yeah. So yeah. that was like a seed price seed round at a big number. So if you call this a series A and you could even raise 25 million and have 10 go to secondary and 15 go to primary. And the reason to do it would be, uh, it just gives you another two years of runway. And if something opportunistic comes out, you're not losing money. So it's, you know, just a war chest. But if something opportunistic came out like an acquisition, we or adding more team members or you saying to the team members, uh, anybody who's been here for five years can sell 10% of their shares. If you've been here four years, you can sell 7% of your years, three years and under or three years, you can sell 20% of your shares, whatever. And then two years, you can sell nothing, you know, you only this applies to people three years and above, you know, so you you get that kind of nice longevity kind of approach. I, I think it's a, not a bad idea. I, I would think it's a smart idea, actually, because you do have people who've been there over four years. Right around four years is I think that yeah. the mark for for the longest people. So yeah, it, it is a great way to keep people in the company 
longer. And what you could say is we're going to do it every year, or we're going to attempt to do it every year. So we're going to have our 2021 secondary offering, you know, in the third quarter, so you can spend the money, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter at the holidays on your vacation. And every third quarter, you can put in a request for how much you want to sell, and the company will tell you how many we're going to sell. And this is the share price is how many shares you own. So we're going to buy, you know, the company's going to the company's going to buy back a million dollars in shares at $12 a share. Anybody want to sell? Go ahead. We're buying back whatever it is, 800,000. We're bu buying back 80,000 shares at $15 each or $12 each, whatever it winds up being. So it's, it's, it's a very nice process you can run internally. And when people realize it's a yearly thing, then they can have the conversation with their spouses or significant others or make life planning decisions and say, you know what, I should stay with this company another four years because I'm getting this liquidity. And I think that's what Elon is doing at SpaceX has been, I think, and then I think Twitter was using Chris Saka to do the secondary offerings, but most companies, the founders are taking control of that situation now. So I think taking control of the situation yourself and running the process yourself with a financial partner, like a fund or something who wants access to those shares. Yeah. And that that's exactly what we're thinking. So I think, you know, yeah. it, it would be awesome if we can make this a regular thing. I think that would definitely give people, you know, that opportunity. And I think, you know, in large part, you know, it'll let them know that, hey, you know, these option grants, these, these shares in the company are actually worth something, right? And, and you know, and they're working so hard for, for the mission, but there's also th th this, th this liquidity that they can actually achieve with a company like us because we are, we are cash flow positive. So, um, that's it, what we're it definitely burns a different set of neurons in people's brains when they realize their shares are not, no longer uh, this ephemeral, you know, abstraction in their mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that's what you see with Facebook and Google and Uber employees now or Airbnb employees are, they're making decisions about staying or not staying based upon RSUs, restricted stock units, mm -hmm. and options for shares or things that are still vesting. And they're making these decisions. And there are real world decisions with real numbers and real impact. So mm -hmm. that's why you'll see some senior executives like, they leave Google and they've got to leave 40 million in shares behind. I'm talking about top, top executives. And they're like, you know what? Facebook's still stealing this Google person or whoever, Apple's stealing somebody from Waymo. They'll be like, yeah, we'll make you whole. Oh, you're going to mm -hmm. lose 10 million in options? We'll just throw 10 million in options on top of this. Yeah. So they like, it's really interesting how dynamic our industry is in that regard. Yeah. Um, and I would say the great thing with us is, you know, we're, you know, a fast growing startup, where we can see that kind of appreciation in shares of, you know, the series A, series B type company. But if we also layer in liquidity, we, we get the advantage of people being able to realize their efforts as well. So um, another nice thing is if you are, you're a mission driven company, so you have people who really care about the product. Mm -hmm. And you're like a cool company to work for, and you pay good salaries and you add that on top, it's really hard for people to leave. I, you know, I had like, one or two employees leave over the last couple of years, uh, who just became boomerangs, they were just like, Yes, <laughs> that was a mistake. And I just put tell people and you know, if you're listening to my voice, and you were a great employee, for me at some point a great team member, if an employee comes back to me, they're like, you know, I left. And you know, I got more money from this place, or I thought I was going to get a better deal. And I kind of miss working with the team, like, don't be too proud to go back to your boss and say, you know what, I went to this other job for three months. I hate it. Can I come back? Yeah. Have you oh, had totally. that happen yet? Um, we haven't had people come back. Um, 
but yeah, no, we have had people um, pursue other opportunities and uh, I'm with you, you know, and you got the back channel that they didn't like it as much and they regretted leaving. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. You'll uh, get that back channel. Yeah, you just haven't had that many people leave when you have like a 30 year career. I have people all the time who are just like, yeah, you know, working for you was hard. And then I thought this other thing was going to be better. And always the other company that's trying to pursue somebody who's worked for me is going to be able to outline a better world, right? They have to win the employees. So they're going to just keep offering stuff until they shake somebody free. They shake them free, the employee goes and they're just like, ugh what am I doing every day with my life? You know, like, oh, I got a 10% raise or a 7% raise, or I got this thing or that thing that I coveted. And I actually kind of missed the thing I had. Yeah. And, and we would, we would for sure, you know, welcome, welcome our team members back and, you know, you know, like yeah. I said, taking care of our team and, you know, being able to work with these people on our team has been what's allowed us to grow. So, um, mm. you know, this isn't so much as, you know, uh, us trying to, um, get ahead of you know people leaving it's more just saying hey people deserve this they, they work hard and this is our way of saying hey you know at, at football we're going to make sure we take care of our team as well perfect use of proceeds for you to just say in the q3 we're going to buy a million dollars in shares back as a company and then you can retire the shares so that's another power move for you like let's say you buy back one percent of the company every year you retire it then the existing shareholders all their shares went up by that mm -hmm. percentage so buying the, the company buying the share of us back and doing a company a corporate buyback and and yeah is, is if you have tons of money sitting around mm -hmm. is totally fine too um you could also buy them back put them into the employee stock option pool for the next set of employees mm -hmm. so there's i think two different concepts there one just gives you the ability to invest the shares in new people without having to issue them the other one gives you the ability to retire them, reduce the denominator, which then makes everybody's shares worth a little more uh, when it gets divided into it. Uh, so both either way, no, no additional dilution. So, uh, you know, I think it keeps everybody in, in a good place. Yeah, I think what you've done and what Calm have done, both of those techniques of skipping the highly dilutive rounds in the early days is very smart. If you are capital efficient, if you're builders, and you're charging for your product, and you're thoughtful about that, and you can skip the series A, you know, the traditional series A, which is 20% dilution at a 30 or $40 million valuation. If you skip that, you're basically skipping a 20% dilution moment, which for a founder who owns 30 or 40% or a team or whatever co founders, I mean, you're talking about 20% of your shares, you just get to keep. That's incredible. And, and I don't know why more companies don't do it. All right, listen, this has been incredible continued success you're still hiring for the team yes. what are the yes, open positions for people who are listening going i think that sounds like a pretty cool company and they're correct to go work for yeah yeah no definitely we're hiring across all positions um you can check out fitbot.me slash careers um engineering um engineering in all roles um uh data science uh you know pro product management designers um really you know across all roles we're, we're looking to grow so um ha happy happy to Happy to see anybody come on board. All right, listen, continued success. It's great being along for the ride. I'm very proud of the work you've done. It's just been great to get to know you, you and Jesse over the years. And it really is just a point of pride for me. You're one of the most successful startups I've ever invested in. And it just means a lot for you, for you to have come to the accelerator and, and let me join the round. I Listen, I, I know that we're investors, but um, you know, having Robin who go public today, watching your success, Grin, Lead IQ, Calm, it's very rewarding for me just to see y'all succeed and, and, and do so well for yourselves and, and see your vision realized. I mean, you guys had a great vision for this company to make people 
more fit and it's just working. I see the before and after photos that some people post and it's just, that's so heartwarming. It's gotta be great yeah. for you to see somebody who was 50 pounds overweight, just do that six month body transformation. It's, it's, it's the best part of this job. Um, hearing from, from our customers, you know, whether it's people that show us their transformation, some people tell us, you know, we literally saved their lives, which, you know, which if you think about it is, is, you know, pre pretty amazing. Some people would tell us that, you know, they, you know, were afraid to step into the gym until they had found Fitbot and we gave mm -hmm. them co the confidence to, to start their fitness journey. So, um, it's, it's, it's the best part of the job to, to be mm -hmm. here. And, you know, I, I, I think going back to what you were saying, you know, really happy that you're on board. It's been a, it's been a great journey. You know, I was thinking back to our time in the incubator and, no, really, you know, as first time founders, what has allowed to allowed us to grow and, and really approach this in, in the right way. Uh, so I think it's been great having you on board. Uh, it's really, it's really uh, wonderful to see. And I'm so glad that YC didn't accept you. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I, I mean, I pissed off a lot of people at YC with those tweets. I know. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> if you didn't get into YC, well, I was starting my accelerator. And yeah. I was like, well, they keep saying they only accept 1%. And I was like, is there any difference between the 1% and the other 9% and the top 10%? No, we all I mean, honestly, I'm sure there is no difference between somebody who is in their 1% and somebody who is in the 20th percentile. I guarantee you all of those companies, if you put them into a bucket and shook them up and then took the names back out would be equally successful. I, I could see their picking being able to say, Hey, this is the top 20% versus the bottom 20%. Sure. But for them to pass on this, what was their reason for passing? Or did you not even get the interview? Do you remember? We, we did get the interview. Um, you know, it was a quick conversation. It's a 10 um, minute interview. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I would say to, to, to your point, you know, the 1% or the 20%, I think that it's, it's a really early stage to be trying to evaluate companies. And, you know, I think a lot of it is what companies do after that. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there's a lot to, you know, Getting into YC, getting into Launch Accelerator, that's kind of one of the first steps. And, and going forward from there is, is a long journey. And having to you know, make sure we approach it the right way, I think, has been a lot of you know, what has allowed us to be successful. Well, I think this is a really important conversation. And for founders who are watching, you, know, you, you can build highly profitable businesses, be disciplined, and really make that tight funnel so you don't churn users. And then you control your destiny. You own the majority of the equity. A lot of people think that investors want, you know, to take control of companies or own the majority of companies. I don't think that's true. I would much rather see the founders own and control their company and be, you know, one of the be lucky enough to be part of the 20% of investors who are on the cap table. Because you're going to be so motivated, you care so much, and you're so thoughtful about this. Um, and that was the thing with calm, you know, we, we suffered very minor dilution as they grew that business. Uh, and the same is true here. So it's, it's really great for investors. I think this piling on of capital, um, you know, is going to be unhealthy for certain folks because they don't have to have the same discipline you had. And if you lose that discipline, mm, I don't know you get it back, or it's hard to get it back. Once you have that money sloshing around, you don't have to be as thoughtful about the funnel, you don't have to be as thoughtful about your cat, because you can just the the war chest you know, makes it so you don't have to be thoughtful, you know, uh, yeah. it makes and, me nervous. And, and really, you know, coming back down to it, it, it is focus on, you know, focus on the user, focus on the team, focus on the business. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff, you know, out there 
that can support this. Um, but I think, you know, if we start from there, I think making sure we approach it from, from that premise, I think it, it is the best way to go. Awesome. Well, listen, continued success, and we'll see you all next time on This Week in Startups. Bye-bye.